0: Good morning. Morning. good morning, special welcome to you if you are visiting this morning or have just recently begun attending this church, you're not alone, I'm also one of the new guys, um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Brett, I'm one of the newest elders to join the team here, and so feel no shame in uh, introducing yourself, saying your name, because honestly, there's a good chance even if you've been here for 10 years, I'm just getting to know you as well, so Uh, It is good to be with you again, church. Um, If you haven't already, would you open your copy of God's Word uh, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you were with us last week, you will remember that um, I said in these, basically these two Sundays, just following up from your last members meeting and the affirmation and calling me as, as pastor here, I wanted to spend two weeks thinking about two um, related themes, two portions of scripture, and essentially wanted to say last week I wanted to give to you my job description, and this week thinking about our job description as members. And so last week we looked at Acts chapter 20, considering Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders, and in some ways preaching to myself, but really doing more than that as we were reminding ourselves what it means to be called as an elder. And as a congregational church, remembering that the responsibility of identifying and affirming and praying for a church's leaders falls upon the church. And so reminding ourselves that this is the sort of men that we are looking for and praying that God would continue to raise up more elders and strengthen the ones he's given. And so what I want to do this week, in a sense, consider the other pedal on the bicycle. Not only are we led by elders, but there is this other emphasis upon members. And so what I want to consider this morning is, what does it mean to be a member of a church? What is a considerate church member? So with your copy of God's word open before you here as I read, we'll begin in verse 19 for a sake of context. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you join in praying with me, asking that the Holy Spirit would be our helper this morning as we consider God's word. Our great Father, we look to you this morning with great assurance and great hope, with great confidence and great comfort, and just hearing the words that have been read to us, speaking of themes of assurance and faith and confidence and anticipation. Lord, as we look out around us, considering our own homes, the society and the city that you have called us to live in, Lord, there is so much to be concerned with. There is so much to have little confidence in and yet we are your people and we're gathered here this morning and it is so good to be reminded that regardless of what is swirling around us, that you have enabled your people to have full assurance, great confidence, and a sense of true anticipation. But Lord, we need your help so much and so greatly because we are a people who are prone to forget. We are those who have dull ears and even calloused hearts, and so we need the ministry of your Spirit this morning to create faith where it does not exist, to regenerate and cause dead hearts to be made alive. Lord, we need to be refreshed and to be renewed, reminded of even the things that we know so well but that we forget or they become overshadowed by the circumstances and the very details of our lives. Cause your word to bear tremendously good fruit in this church. Cause your word this morning to shape us and convict us, exhort us, encourage us, mold us, Lord, that we might be a people called by your name, reflecting your image and fulfilling your purpose, we pray. Do this for Christ's sake and for our own good. Amen. Well, recognizing that we are essentially just dropping down into a few particular verses here in the midst of a much larger letter, it would probably be helpful And very wise for us to step back just for a moment, look to our left, look to our right, survey the wider context of what is happening here, especially as the verses that we are looking at this morning, and just really a brief meditation, the two verses that we're looking at really are the application of the previous ten chapters. In a sense, we're skipping to the end, as it were, reading the application and saying, thanks be to God. And so if we're gonna do that with any sense of helpfulness and hopefully land in the right direction, instead of just making the application, it'd be really helpful to just have some sense of what the author has said in these previous 10 chapters when we come to really the application point of everything that's been said. You may remember that in short, The exhortation to the Hebrews, it really seeks to press home this all-important point that Jesus Christ is sufficient, and at the same time, he is superior. Really, If you wanted to sum up the message to the Hebrews, it would be that. Jesus Christ is sufficient, and he is superior to all else. What's come before these chapters is a reminder that Jesus is a better sacrifice. It's a reminder that Jesus is a better priest. And therefore, because of that, he is the perfect mediator of a better covenant. But these truths, as wonderful as they are, they are not meant to just hang on the wall for us to admire as if this were some art gallery where we just stand back and observe. These truths that are given to us here in the book of Hebrews are intended to drive right down really to the very bedrock, the very ground that we are called to stand upon is God's people. Because what is laid out here is the very sure footing that every Christian must stand upon. The greatest comfort, and honestly, some of the most sober warnings that are right here in this book, So the entire previous section, which you could say from chapters 4 to chapter 10, are driving towards this point right here, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10. This is why in verse 19, we have a therefore. Everything that's been said, therefore. Therefore what? Well, we have confidence Because of everything that has been laid out in chapters 4 through 10, we as God's people have confidence to come into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. We have access beyond the curtain to the most holy place because Christ has opened the way. And not only that, we have a sense. Verse 20, we have a therefore and we have a sense. Since Christ is our great high priest who stands over the house of God. Because of these great realities, because of who Christ is, because of what he has accomplished, we have this foundation. This is the basis of this foundation which then we're given this triad of faith and hope and love. Did you notice that? Look back at your Bible verse 22. There's a triad of exhortation that's wrapped around faith and hope and love. In verse 22 it says, "Let us draw near." <clears throat> We need not cower in fear because we have full assurance that our consciences have been cleansed. We are washed. We come in faith. But then in verse 23, we're exhorted, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast because the one who promised this, he's faithful. He will not fail. And on the basis of that, we press in in hope, faith, hope. And then verse 24, we're to consider one another. It's very important. Because our faith is personal. But it is not private. Our faith is a very personal thing. But as you read through your scriptures, you will find that it is not an individualistic, private matter. Therefore, verse 24, consider one another. What this is getting at is that we're saved into a community of believers. If Jesus is the better sacrifice, if he is the true and the greater high priest, then that would mean the loving thing to do amongst God's people is to ask our brothers and sisters, how are they doing? If Jesus really is better, then we have this concern on our minds, I want you to have the best. I want you to know How good we have it. And so it's right here at this third point of emphasis and application, verse 24 and 25, that I want to spend our time together this morning in just this brief meditation that really is the application of everything that has been said about Christ being sufficient and superior. What I want to do is put before us this meditation under the umbrella, if you like, the considerate church member, This word consider at the heart of what we're exhorted to do, what we're going to ask ourselves this morning is what sort of membership would we want to see established and nurtured here at Veritas Church? What is a considerate church member? What would it look like? What ought it look like? How do the scriptures inform this? And that's what we're going to consider this morning if you're looking for kind of a road map or some waypoints or some handles to get your way through the text and to think through this well, we're just going to consider it from three angles. The considerate church member stirs up. The considerate church member stays close. And the considerate church member strengthens others. Stirs up, stays close, strengthens others. Let's look back at verse 24, remembering what is here before us. The considerate church member stirs up. Notice the emphasis of this entire exhortation is placed upon verse 24. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And verse 25, if you notice, it's really just the two subpoints under that main point. Do you see that? Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then verse 25 is the negative and the positive of how ought we to go about doing that. Again, because of who Christ is and what he has accomplished, we are to take thought, show concern, and consider one another. This means if and as we experience genuine communion with Christ... We are not those who are then driven inwards into some sort of mystic isolation from others. But as we enjoy communion with Christ, we are actually propelled outwards, considering who else is amongst us. Let me put it bluntly. Genuine communion with Christ will always elevate our concern for others. That is one of the marks of regeneration. It is one of the marks of being brought into the family of God. It is one of the marks of the Holy Spirit continuing to conform us to the image of Christ as that we have a heightened awareness to the condition of our brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. But oftentimes, even as we say that, We can see how this is contrary, oftentimes, to the assumption or even the experience of many Christians within the broader church today. The assumption is that a genuine spiritual experience means that everybody else is just fading away. I didn't even know you were in my life or in this room because it's just a me and Jesus moment right now. That's oftentimes the assumption that we bring to the table but Hebrews chapter 10 would actually push against that. Here in God's word, what we see is that the mark of genuine maturity, the mark of raised spirituality, mature spirituality, is a raised awareness of everybody else as we are in Jesus together. The word used in verse 24, it's quite striking. We read it as stir up but could also be understood as to provoke, to incite, to stimulate. That's the the essence of what's being exhorted here. Maybe maybe you've experienced this um, physically. If you've ever been to physical therapy and they they put those electrodes on a specific muscle group that you're trying to strengthen, maybe you've had an injury and those, those electrodes are going to do their job, and they're going to pulse, and what's going to happen to the the muscles that they're intending to to repair, to heal, or to strengthen, that electricity is going to cause those muscles to flex, or to constrict, it's going to incite that muscle group to stir them up, to hopefully do more work, that's kind of the idea of this word right here, to stir up, to provoke, to incite. And that's in part what a considerate church member is doing as their awareness is of who is around them that they are seeking to stir up the body to love and to good works. Now, notice what the exhortation implies here. There's something unspoken that is carried along with this. Love and good works don't just happen magically. They are actually the fruit of a thoughtful church member who is considerate and desires to actually stir someone else up. Now, to be a body that is known for love and for good works is most certainly a work that's owed to the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. I I think any believing Christian would affirm that and say, yeah, if, if, if anybody is going to be a genuine, loving church known for their good works, it's, it's ultimately going to be because God himself is doing something. Amen. But God also chooses to use means. And the means that he's chosen for Veritas Church to grow in love and good works is us. The means that he has chosen to cause his people to be stirred up towards love and good works is going to be one another. That's God's design. And so as we look around, as we listen to one another, as we ask good questions, as we confess sin to one another, as we share those particular areas of temptation or struggle or weakness, as we're doing all of that, we are looking and listening for the opportunities to propel one another further into love and to good works, into faithful Christian living. All of what we do together, the considerate church member, according to Hebrews 10, is doing that in part so that I might stir up someone else to love and good works. What we're saying here is that this is a central mark of a healthy church, a mature church membership, and that they are seeking to stir up. Now, all this is well and good. Probably no objections thus far. That's probably exactly the kind of church that we would all long to be in. But how do we do this? Well, we're given a negative and a positive. This is really, the, remember, the thrust of the emphasis, verse 24, then verse 25 is the sub-points of, okay, this is how we do this. The considerate church member stirs up. But secondly, verse 25, the considerate church member does this by staying close. Look back at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some. How do we stir up? Well, first we have to say what we're not doing. The way that we stir up is by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Now, this is pretty obvious if you think about it in context. It's pretty hard to stir one another up if we're neglecting to be with one another meaning the primary way in which we are enabled to stir one another up and to consider others is by being together, that we are known and we know others. So as we have various opportunities throughout the week to be together, the pattern and really the prescription of Scripture is that the primary gathering of God's new covenant people on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, is the primary means by which all of this stirring up and strengthening is going to happen. This means that every small group, every men's breakfast, every women's Bible study, every fellowship group, even our own personal devotions are supplementary and secondary to the corporate gathering of God's people on his day. Now, this right here, Really gets at a glaring misunderstanding within the modern church of what is happening when the church gathers. Ever asked yourself that? Ever step, step back at a particular moment and just said, What are we honestly doing right here? It looks very simple. And maybe you walked in this morning and you are new to a context like this. What is actually happening here? A bunch of people. Under some twinkle lights, singing songs, somebody gets up and talks for hopefully not too long, but long enough. <laughs> they share in some bread and cup. They bless one another, they leave. What's actually happening in this moment? Now you might be deceived in, by the pure simplicity of what's happening here into then coming to the conclusion, well, not much is happening here at all. But you might also be deceived into thinking, well, what is happening here? It's primarily academic. What is happening here is essentially a Bible study. And what we're doing is a meeting to disseminate knowledge, heap up biblical insight, make some application, and eventually have a binder full of helpful tips. That's also a wrong assumption. The gathering of God's people is not just another Bible study. We're not just here to disseminate information, but nor are we here, and nor is this gathering intended to be a subjective, individualistic, mystic experience, where a group of individuals are having their own individual experience detached from one another, but just happen to be in the same building at the same time. That's not what the New Testament is describing. That's not the history of what's happening as God's people have gathered throughout all of Scripture. Instead, what we find, and the reason for this emphasis here in Hebrews 10, is that the corporate gathering of God's people is foundational. It is the foundational moment where God promises to be with, to speak to, And to strengthen his people. That is what is happening. God's people gather together because God has promised. This is where I speak. This is where I will strengthen my people. This is where you will see these elements of bread and cup. And hear and taste and receive all that is promised in scripture. Think about it. Just as God spoke creation into existence by his very word, he continues to speak his word, to create and recreate his people, building his church by his word. So in part, when God's people gather and the word is open and it is proclaimed, God is calling out of darkness into light and he is creating his church. The church is a creature of the word. Just as God created all the creatures, he creates his church through his word. That is happening each week. And this is why we take great emphasis and great intentionality to preach the word, to pray the word, to sing the word, and to see the word in the ordinances. This is a primary means of gathering as we hear God's word, but so is the entire service when we remember who it is that's here and what God has promised. Word, God's word, is centric. It's through this gathering that we rehearse and we remember the promises of the gospel each week, our very order of service. As we walk through it, we are stepping through the biblical pattern of sinful man encountering a holy god do you recognize that's what's happening in the order of service maybe it's not as clear as it could be and maybe you're new to it but think about the order of what's happening in the ark if you walked in this front door and then you left an hour and a half later what would have happened well you would have heard god call you to worship by his word that's how it begins And we're reminded of his beauty and his worth as we adore him. We acknowledge our sinfulness through confession. And we're assured of grace as we hear the assurance of pardon. We give thanks in prayer and song. We hear the word proclaimed in the preaching. We receive the elements at the table. And then we are sent out into this world. The entire liturgy, the entire order from beginning to end is this gospel narrative retold. God calls. We adore him. We see ourselves. We confess. We hear of grace and we're assured. We're built up and strengthened through the preaching of the word. We come to the table. We give thanks. We're sent out. So when we gather, we are participating then in this joyful and reverent experience of hearing and receiving and responding. And as we do, then, we are now enabled to turn to one another after what we have heard, been reminded of, and we're able to stir up. We're able to speak well. We're able to provoke to love and to good works because we've said amen to the same prayers, we've sung the same songs. We've heard the same portion of scripture of God's word being read and proclaimed. and So these elements then become the very emphasis for our continued ministry to one another. So being aware of that, can you see how central this exhortation is and the concern of this exhortation? To neglect this gathering is to undermine and to erode the very means that God has established for the strengthening of his people. For when we withdraw, when we neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, we're doing damage really on two levels. Maybe you're already thinking along this way. If we neglect God's means to strengthen his church, we're doing damage On two fault lines. For one, we're doing damage to our own spiritual condition. When we fail to be stirred up by others, because remember, that's in part what's happening. When we fail to be stirred up by others, we become spiritually numb. We become lethargic. We even become anemic to the things of God. And when we neglect this this assembly... What we're doing is we're essentially casting aside God's primary means to attend to our own spiritual health and to the care of others. So to neglect this is to really damage our own spiritual condition, but it's not just us because God has placed his members in his body for a reason. So if I neglect to be here, I'm not just losing out, but I am failing then to stir you up because I'm not here and I'm a part of God's means to do that just as you are to your brother and your sister next to you. We undermine the spiritual health of others because we are unable to stir others up in our absence. Instead of those providential conversations that happen in a, call, in, in a hallway or out at lunch together, exhorting and listening and, and praying to one another, or as a follow-up from this day of catching briefly, saying, hey, let's grab breakfast later this week and let's talk more. If we fail at this point, then we fail every other point down the road because we've missed out on being able to can be concerned about the spiritual health of one another. So you can see then why a faithful church will take seriously the pattern of faithful attendance. Because it's not just a ticky tack OCD thing saying, How often are you at church? It's God's very means to attend to the health and the strength. Of his church. To neglect this meeting is to turn your back on your brother and sister. It's to disobey the clear call of Scripture to care for one another. And prolonged lack of gathering is essentially, in these terms then, abandonment. If we are truly family, if we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ, To fail to belong together, to neglect to meet, as is the habit of some, is detrimental to the health of the family. The caring church member, the considerate church member, not only stirs up, they stay close. The way that they stir up is in part by staying close. There's the negative, but there's also the positive. How else does a church member, stir up. Well, the considerate church member strengthens others. If neglecting to meet is one way that we cannot do it, the positive would be strengthening others. Verse 25, the second part, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Instead of neglecting to meet, The considerate church member encourages one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You hear the contrast? Sometimes this verse gets pulled out, and it's just the first part of verse 24. Don't neglect to meet one another. Yes, and think of the positive. Think of the joyful celebration and and, and the great privilege of what we are getting to do. Encouraging one another. The considerate member, then, is doing this. They're looking around. They're observant. They're literally looking around, seeing who is here. They're listening as they're having conversations. They're wondering, hey, I didn't see so-and-so this week. Are they sick? Do they need anything? They're new here. What are they going through? You're aware, we're aware. The considerate church member is looking around for someone to strengthen, someone to exhort. I don't know who it is, but when I walk in today, I'm looking for someone to encourage. I'm looking for someone to exhort. Lord, who would it be? How contrary and how often is this contrary to how we walk into church, isn't it? Because some of us, like myself, tend to think of ourselves First, a few days of the week. Most certainly, when we walk into a gathering like this. And what do we all long for? What do we all need? And sometimes, what is the church most criticized for? Well, don't even talk to me. The considerate church member strengthens others, and the means by which they strengthen others is they are looking around for someone to exhort, someone to strengthen We're looking around to see if there's anyone among us whose hands are drooping down, whose knees have become weak, and we say, let me strengthen you. We're looking around for anyone in whom the root of bitterness has begun to take root, and we say, brother, let me exhort you, let me point you to the truth of Scripture. We're looking around for anyone who has succumbed to sexual immorality, and we're warning them. You are thinking like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. We're looking around for anyone who needs to be reminded to just run with endurance the race that is set before them. And we say, look to Jesus. He's the author and he's the finisher of your faith. Those examples weren't just pulled out of thin air. Those are the exact examples in the next section of Hebrews chapter 10 that we're given. Hands drooping down, weak knees, root of bitterness, sexual immorality, the need to run with endurance. What we're doing is we're taking the example of David and his dear friend Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 23, we read that David was alone in the wilderness. He was running for his life from King Saul. He was being hunted like a dog. And what do we read? Verse 16 of chapter 23, Jonathan rose, he went to David, and he strengthened his hand in God. Brothers and sisters, as members of Christ's family, the call to strengthen one another is the primary call and the primary task as we journey onwards together towards glory. That's what we're doing here. The day that we speak of, Here is the day of the Lord. It's this great eschatological event where Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. Now, if you're not a Christian, that might sound very strange that some group of people are looking forward to this time where Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. And that announcement right there is the dividing line. It is the very mark because that day is a joyful day If, and only if, you have Christ as your mediator, the perfect mediator between God and man. If you do not have a mediator, if you do not have someone to go between you and this God, this day, the day of the Lord, is a day of terror. It is a day of fear and dread. Because what it means at this day is that as Christ returns, it is this promised day where every injustice Every evil deed of every unseemingly unchecked evil thought, action or retaliation will be judged. That is terrifying, unless you have a mediator, someone who stands between you, someone sent by the Father to bear the wrath that those sins deserve to pay for them by his own blood, to cover them by his own righteousness and declare you to be not just acceptable, but fully welcomed as a child of God. So for the Christian, the day of the Lord is this great day that we long for because it's not our judge coming to smite us. It is our Father who's coming to finally take us to receive us. Whether he comes first or we go to be with him in glory, there is this great eschatological event where all of this world will finally be put right. The new heavens and the new earth will not just be a thing we long for, it will be the thing that we experience. But we're not there yet. And that is why the exhortation is that we continue to do this, to exhort one another until that day. And specifically, we are turning to one another and saying, the day is near. It's coming. Do not grow weary in doing good. Continue. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We continue to exhort one another. And we sometimes just say, keep going. Keep going. Christ is faithful. During our oldest son's high school years, He played a number of sports, and one year he ran track. Typically, I enjoyed these meets because if you've ever been to one, there's always something happening. There's always some event somewhere that is happening. You you have the various field events at center stage. You have the pole vault, the shot put, the javelin. You can be watching this over here, and then momentarily this will be happening over there. And then you have the track events right in front of you. You have the sprints and the hurdles and the relays. But typically, at some of these meets, when they would announce the distance running, the long distance, which is eight laps around the track, some 3,000 meters, that's the moment, oftentimes, I would try and find the snack bar. (laughs) But if you stayed, you would have noticed, right in the middle, down in the flats, the, the long distance coach standing there and if you were close enough you would hear something as the runners would would pass by this coach standing there on the flats he would essentially from my observations encourage them he might call out their lap time let them know if they're on pace or off he might encourage them to keep pace or sometimes it was just the single encouragement that you would hear "One more lap. Finish is just ahead. Keep going." It's one of the actually the most striking elements that you can, you can see and, and appreciate from this whole metaphor of field and racing and running and all that we have in this Christian life. Brothers and sisters. How often we need to hear that simple exhortation from one another all the more as the day draws near. Sometimes it's the simple exhortation, keep going. Keep looking to Jesus. How often we need to be reminded that we are those who live in light of a future day that's just over the horizon. Christ has come but he's coming again. At the very center of this exhortation is the understanding that our individual circumstances, whatever they may be at this particular moment in our lives, our individual circumstances, and even our own present spiritual condition, is not the only concern at hand. All of us, as individuals, walked into this building with a particular set of individual circumstances, with a particular spiritual health, That is not the only concern at hand when the church gathers. We are responsible for the spiritual health of one another. That's what all of this is saying. You and I, as fellow members of this church, are responsible for the spiritual health of one another. That's not outsourced. That's not given over to someone else. If you are a member of Christ's body, if you are a member of his church, you're responsible for your brother's and your sister's spiritual health. All the more as we see the day drawing near. What this means is that we love each other to such a degree that we will not neglect meeting together. But instead we will join together, join with one another, seeking how to stir one another up to love and good works. So let me ask you, to whom in the body are you seeking to encourage this week? Through your presence, through your words, through your time, maybe even your writing? And let me exhort you secondly to look around, especially as we about, are about to take up the bread and the cup. Remind yourself, as you see fellow members with the bread and the cup, that's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. That's who God has called me to care for and them to care for me. That's in part what we're doing when we come to the table. It's vertical and horizontal. It's proclaiming something about what God has done for us in Christ, but it's proclaiming something on the horizontal level, saying, this is whom God has brought to himself, and I am amongst them. Who is it that God has placed around me to be the considerate church member? Today, we are those who rejoice because there was one who was dead, yet made alive, and that through his death and resurrection, we are those of all the people who are saying, we have a new life. And this life is not isolated individualism because Christ has saved us into this particular new community and he's building and he's shaping us for his glory. We are the living stones being built and shaped into the spiritual house. We were once not a people, but now we are a people. We had not yet received mercy, but now we have received mercy. That's what's happening here. So may the Lord continue to strengthen us. May he continue to enable us to live these things out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great promise and the exhortation that's given to us in your word. Father, how greatly we need to hear and to hear frequently of what you have done, what you've called us to, and the sort of people that you have made and recreated and brought to yourself Lord, we ask that you would help us because we know that we are a selfish people. We know that our default mode and tendency is to love ourselves first, to think of ourselves first and foremost, and then to think of others. Lord, we are desperate for the work of your spirit to conform us to the image of your son, that you might build within us, within this church, a sort of membership that is so concerned and overwhelmed with what you have done in the giving of your son, that we would be so likewise equally concerned with what you're doing amongst us. We pray and we ask that you would grow us in this. Help us to be patient with one another. We pray that you would be well pleased in what you see amongst the membership here and that you would continue to strengthen this church for your purposes, that you would continue to draw in Those who are on the fringes or the outside, those whom you've yet to save, the Lord, we look forward to rejoicing in those that you'll continue to bring to faith. Do so, Father, in the means that you've given and the very purposes that you've outlined in your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.